At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. Good morning, church. How we doing? Yes, we ready for a church picnic? Yes, we have people here that are going to help out and get it all ready and eat all the food and jump on the bounce houses. We have people here? Yes, yes. So we have a, a wonderful picnic here coming up after the 1130 service. A lot of great things that we have prepared, that we have set up for it. The only request that I had was uh, to have that wonderful Texas Roadhouse roll station for us. I'm wondering if that will be the case. And uh, that cinnamon butter, I talk about it often. Uh, actually, did you, hear, did you hear the rumor about butter? Did anyone hear that rumor about butter? I, I don't know. I, I don't want to spread it, okay? But, um, okay. Thank you, thank you. Uh-huh, thank you. That was... I actually asked my wife about that one. That's when I'm really scared. Like, this is going to be a flop. But uh, we have, again, so much good that we have in store today. And actually, we're starting a brand new series, Thy Kingdom Come. And a beautiful series coming out of Elijah on how Christ and his reign has come here to earth. And so when I'm thinking about this arrival, uh, one of my favorite topics is history. And, and if you know anything about history, you know that one of our favorite presidents is Ronald Reagan. And so Ronald Reagan in 1987, June 12th, he arrived in Berlin, in West Berlin. And so when he arrived with Air Force One with his wife and they descended off of that plane and into the city, uh, just so many decades earlier, Enemy number one, Nazi Germany, and now the Germans are celebrating that this American president has arrived. Talk about a switch, a turn of events, and it was one of those major moments in the world because he said the famous words, tear down this wall. And there's that wall between West Berlin and East Berlin. East Berlin was the Soviets, was the communist nation. And East Berlin was something that was seen as an enemy of the world in the Cold War. And then you have West Berlin, which was capitalist, and, and it was known as uh, a nation that people could, could, could achieve and, and grow into, but there was this great chasm. And so when, when Ronald Reagan spoke to the Russian president, Mikhail Gorbachev, to tear down this wall... It was seen as a, as a pivotal moment in history. And, and so I think about that 
with these moments of arrival, like Air Force One arriving and this declaration to the world, or maybe it's the arrival of someone back from their military tour, or maybe it's the arrival of a team after they won a championship. I still remember 2004, the Detroit Pistons and the parade they had and the arrival of this team who has won it all. You know, I think about the arrival of Thursday night when the Detroit Lions somehow won. Yes. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm afraid that they're going to hurt our hearts down the road. But we're just like, they're finally okay. They're finally good. And, and, and so I think about this. We, these arrivals are so sweet for the most part with, with excitement, with enthusiasm, with joy, at times victory parades. And so in Mark chapter 3 through 5, which we'll be talking about in this series, there is this arrival of the kingdom of God to earth, to the world. And it's because of the arrival of the Christ. It's the arrival of the Messiah, of the liberator, of the defender, of our Savior, and the person that everyone had waited for. Christ was here. But what happened with the arrival of Jesus? What happened with this uh, long-awaited coming of the King? And how does that impact us today? How does that have anything to do with us as Christ's followers. And so in the Gospel of Mark, in specifically uh, chapter 1, verse 15, this kind of sets the tone for the entire Gospel. It says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. So this sets the stage that the kingdom of God has arrived because the King has arrived. And from there we see a couple chapters of, of Jesus just confronting religious leaders and, and healing the sick and casting out demons. And, and in chapter 3, where we're going to be focused on today, in verses 7 through 12, we see a little of this. It's a good summary. And, and this is what it says. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumiah and from beyond the Jordan and Tyre and Sidon. From the great crowd, uh, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many. So that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits came and saw him, they fell down before him and cried, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So this is the scene. Just three chapters in, and people are traveling from over a hundred miles away in any direction to see, to experience what is happening with this, this Jesus. And the crowd essentially goes crazy, right? They go crazy. They're, they're excited. They're energized. People are falling before him just hoping to touch him. Even the demons are falling down before him confessing that this is the Son of God. Which is mind-boggling to me that these demonic beings who confess the name of Jesus, even they did not know him. 
which tells that many will call on the name of Christ and not know him. And yet in the middle of this arrival, as shockwaves are sent out, not just with uh, the earthly level of things, but also a spiritual level, not just with what I could see, but in the spiritual realm, even the earth was shook because, again, sicknesses are being cured. Jesus is uh, beginning to undo all the effects of the fall. Those who are divided are united. Demonic presences are being destroyed. And people from all these nations around are gathering together. And that's because Jesus' reign brings heaven to earth. Jesus' reign, he brings heaven to earth. And ever since sin came into the world, humanity has, has been broken. Humanity has been hurting, has been desperate. Evil has been at work. And so here is Jesus, and when he arrives, a new era has begun, a new day has dawned, because he is here to bring heaven to earth, heaven's reign and kingdom to earth. Now we know it'll be the final product when he returns another time. But he's bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, the kingdom of God here. And so again, all the healing, all these amazing moments. And what blows my mind is despite all the impact that Jesus is having, he saw people and he saw their hearts and he saw their mixed motives. He saw that people were just coming to see another spectacle. That people were just coming because they wanted to go home and tell a story. Man, I can't believe what I witnessed. Some were going because they wanted to be healed. They didn't want to be spiritually healed. They wanted to be physically healed. And some, they were coming there because it was just what everyone was up to. And in the midst of their wrong motives or mixed motives, Jesus still healed them. Jesus still preached to them. Jesus still cast out demonic presence. You know, he could have been like, man, all these motives are wrong. I'm not doing squat. But he still, in his grace and his mercy, loved people and met their needs. But in the midst of that, even with all the great crowds, Jesus wasn't just looking to ooh and awe people. Jesus was looking for something. Jesus was looking for people not just to be healed or delivered. Jesus was more interested in finding followers. He was more interested in calling disciples, not spectators. That's what he was after. He wasn't just after being the biggest talk in town. He was interested in followers, not just people cheering him on. Yeah, we love what you're doing. He wanted people to be all in. He doesn't want people just to be impressed with his ministry. He doesn't want people to be lukewarm. He wants people to be devoted. And so that's what we're going to see over the next so many verses is what distinguishes the true followers of Jesus from everyone else witnessing his ministry. Like, why did he choose the disciples? Like, what distinguished them? He had thousands upon thousands of people. Why were these disciples set apart? 
He could have picked anyone of, of any tier of life, socioeconomically, um, just the influence they had. Why did he choose these 12? And the first thing we see is that Jesus' disciples, they were called out from the crowd. That he called them to himself. And he separated them from everyone else. And so as we are called out as Christ's followers, he called out the 12. And we see in verse 13 what it says, that he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So when he went and he called them out, the ones that he desired out of this great crowd, he withdrew And when he withdrew, he sought out in the country, the hill country of Galilee, most likely west of the Sea of Galilee. And at this time, it appears that when he left the crowd, in verse 13, Mark tells us that Jesus called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. It's important because what did he see? Like, what did he see in their hearts that distinguish them from everyone else. I was thinking about that, and, and honestly what came to mind was a story of when I was going to my freshman, uh, freshman year tryouts for basketball. And so here I am, and I'm feeling good about myself. You know, I got game, you know, and I'm dribbling. I'm like, you reach, I teach, you know, kind of thing. And, and I was feeling good. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to high school. I'm going to win the starting point guard job. And, and I'm going to be that guy. I was feeling myself. I won't lie. I was a little naive. And I still remember walking into the high school gym and looking around and, and being like, oh, <laughs> wait, that guy, he's got a nice jumper. Well, that person's really good at dribbling with their left hand. Oh, that one's got size. I'm, I'm not the tallest guy. You know, that guy, that guy is, is tall, is strong, can shoot and dribble as good as anyone. And I remember being like, how am I going to set myself apart? And and then I started thinking, how am I going to make the team? Am I even going to make the team now? And and so when I was playing, I was like, I I need to distinguish myself. I need to stand apart. I need to to figure this out. And and it's the same with this story with Jesus calling his disciples. And and what was it that set them apart from other people? Because on the outside, most of them looked apart, right? And so after the first, sermon, uh, first service, someone said, well, what'd you do? I was really curious. And one, I made the team. <laughs> okay, let me just say that. But, but honestly, uh, you think about it, and it's all motive and heart. The team, not just you, not just whatever helps your image or helps you get ahead. And, and so in this case, Jesus saw their hearts and they were distinguished. They stood out. And, and he wasn't looking for people who just like him, who were like fans of him. He was looking for people to follow him and be disciples of him. I'm going to use, I don't use the KJV often, the King James Version, but I'm going to use it today because I like the word that's used here in, in 1 Peter 2.9. And it says, ye. Now, if you don't know King James, that means you. Okay? Not like Kanye. It's like yay, ye. Okay? So ye are chosen, or chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, 
a peculiar people. So, so really, if we are Christ's followers, we're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, holy nation, we are called to be peculiar, right? Some people might say, okay, what is that word? Does that mean weirdos, right? Does that mean uh, awkward? Does that mean different? No, we are peculiar. We stand out rather than fit in. We do things different, whether in our homes, whether with our families, in our jobs, we don't do things like the status quo. We live with integrity. We live with character. We are slow to speak. We are quick to listen. We don't join, we don't join into the gossip. We are a peculiar people. And these disciples, they were peculiar. They stood out against worldliness that surrounded them. And so I think about us, and let's make this practical. What crowd has Jesus called you out of? Think about that. Some of us, we might have been called out of a crowd to be peculiar, to be different. What, if you've ever had a moment, has God called you out of a crowd? Or even, maybe we're not out of that crowd yet, what crowd might Jesus now be calling you out of? Is there a crowd right now that he's saying, hey, you are called to be peculiar, to stand out, to care more about him than you do about even your relationship with others? And some of us, we could say, man, I did that a decade ago. Man, I did that a year ago. I, I did that 20 years ago. Some of us are like, man, I'm juggling that right now. I don't know. I don't know. These are my friends. This is my community. How am I supposed to do that? And for some of us, we could speak into this because we were there. Maybe you were the partier. Maybe that was your scene. That was your identity. I think about that in even my own life and giving into, you know, just wanting to be the life of the party, just wanting to be in the mix, just wanting to be fun. Some of us, maybe we're on the other end where we grew up in the church and we turned into religious hypocrites. And on the other end, we became the people that were judgmental, that were harsh and gossipy and arrogant and full of uh, just uh, conditions to faith and work hard and do more and, and, and this, this presence of there's just not grace for someone if they struggle with something. And wherever you are, whatever it may be right now, greed, money, wealth, anger, resentment, bitterness, God calls us out. He calls us to a different life. He is looking for disciples. And the first image of a disciple is they are, they are ones that are called out from the crowd. They are chosen by God, but not just chosen. They also distinguish themselves by being people who spend time with Jesus. It's not just, hey, I do this, this, this. They actually are ones who spend time with Jesus. Look at the first part of Mark 3.14, and just the first half of that. And it says that Jesus, he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. It's important, remember that. Not that they might serve more, not that they might give more, not that they might... Um, show up more, 
even though that stuff is important, but it starts with them just being with him. Just have a relationship with him. That blew my mind when I first heard that. Wait, the God of the universe wants a relationship with me? Does he know me? (laughs) Does he see me? He wants to have connection with me? And so Jesus, who is God, called these 12. He just wanted them to be with him. Spend time with him. He appointed these 12, but he appointed them first that they may be with him. And I think about that. That's, we see this all the time in discipleship. In, in discipleship around any type of trade, church, nonprofit, you name it. Like, one time I wanted to be an electrician. I'm not just going to go into a building and, and go to, the, go to uh, start working on the lights and working on the wiring. And I'm not just going to go and work, look at the breaker box and, and start trying to figure out. I have to have an apprenticeship. And apprenticeships are under master electricians. And I got to do that for five years. I got to be under them five years. And I'm not just learning how to be an electrician. I'm learning through imitation, through watching them, how they respond to problems, how they problem solve with other people, how they work through a scenario that is difficult or complicated. What about doctors? We talk about this often. That doctors, what do they need? What is their apprenticeship? It's called a residency. Thank the Lord that we don't let our doctors just go into a room and start on surgery without years upon years upon years of residencies. That'd be terrifying. If we just let people, okay, this is a two-year program, you're good to go, and start having surgery. No, no. It is difficult. It is strenuous before you get that knife. We have different ways of doing this. Whether you, you, you go into a program and observe and watch, the disciples were no different. These were formative experiences of not merely learning information, but learning through imitation. Learning through studying how they engaged people. They don't just gain knowledge, they gain a relationship. And again, to share even another illustration, what about Martha and Mary? You know, the disciples, they got to be with Jesus, but we actually have a story of Martha and Mary, one we've talked about often. And if you know the story of Martha and Mary in Luke 10, it talks about how these sisters, they invite Jesus to their home for a meal. And Martha, she's preparing the meal, and she's getting everything set, the table, the placemats, you know, getting everything clean and tidy. And then Mary, her sister, is just hanging out with Jesus. And so my favorite part of the story is Martha had the audacity to go to Jesus Christ and confront Jesus, rebuke Jesus, Do you even care about me, Lord? My sister's over there. Tell her to help me. Martha rebuked Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do? He didn't say, who do you think you are? You know, and then start levitating and the room went black. Which would be cool, actually. (laughs) Um, 
he looked at her and he said, Martha, Martha, you are so anxious and worried about many things. Now, I'm not telling Mary to do anything. She has chosen the right thing. So, okay, right? Martha's in here. Well, what's going to get done? Huh? Huh? Are we just all going to be eating a can of beans? Okay, I get it. As a Mary, I'm a little offended, okay? But the thing is this. With Mary and Martha, what is happening is Martha is prioritizing serving Jesus, and Mary is prioritizing being with Jesus. They're both important. But what is more important? We talk about serving all the time in this church. Serve here, serve there, picnic and, and food pantry and the teams and greeting. It is important. Someone's running the lights, someone's running the slides, someone's serving the, the coffee, someone's greeting you at the door, someone's setting up the picnic, someone's serving with our children's ministry, someone on Sunday night serving with our student ministry, we got security, we have all this stuff moving. It is important, but when it comes to it, what is most important is a relationship with Jesus, that the creator of the world wants a relationship with you. And he desires a relationship with you. So what is our priorities? When we look at our life, what are our priorities? Undivided, extended time of quietness with the Lord or service? You know, what distinguishes these disciples is time. And people say, okay, well, I want to spend time with God. I want to spend time with him. And, and this is important. I see it. You know, but I don't know exactly how that looks. And so I want to speak very clearly with you. One of the greatest ways that we can grow in our relationship with the Lord is to be with like-minded people that will grow with us. To be in community. Not just attending not just serving, but being in a group of people, a small group of people that are willing to guide us, to challenge us, to be accountable for us, for us to be accountable to them, to be in a group. And today, even when we go to the picnic, there's going to be people out there sharing about their group, wanting you to be in one of their groups. Maybe some of us were like, I want to start a group. I would love to talk to you about what that looks like. So maybe some of us were like, man, I would love to be in a group for a season. This is what helps people. When I started growing most in my faith is when I had community that were willing to speak into my blind sides. God uses us to grow each other, to grow in him. But it doesn't just end there. That's not the end of it. What we see as well is in this third point is we are given authority to minister that we're given something we're given authority to minister look at the second part of verse 14 remember that he called the 12 so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons and he appointed the 12 simon whom he gave the name peter james the son of jebedee uh, Zebedee, uh, John the brother of James to whom he gave the name Bernardus, and that is the sons of thunder 
Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So we have these names of these disciples. He called them to be with him, but he also called them to be sent. That wasn't it. What we see is that being with Jesus is not the be all end all. That being with Jesus leads to being sent by Jesus. Being with Jesus means that you as a disciple will go out and preach to the world. You're going to preach the gospel. You're going to preach to your co-workers. You're going to preach to your friends. You're going to preach to your family. And some of us, we hear the word preach, preaching is the sermon on Sunday. And so why'd they use that word, right? They use this word preach. And it's because preaching is about sharing, gospel sharing in public or in home-to-home like early disciples with an authoritative declaration, an announcement. And so they were called to go and share. It's our great commission, right? You know, in chapter 16, that's when the great commission is given in Mark. This is 13 chapters prior. And he says, go! Our job is to go! To go to the world! To go and not just expect for people to come here to hear the gospel, but we carry the gospel to them. The commission is on us to go and share and be bold, understanding that we have the authority to minister. We've been given that authority. And then it throws in this word, even this phrase, even to to cast out demons, right? And that's something that's kind of taboo in the American church. But, but the truth is that demonic oppression and possession is real. And some of us, maybe, just maybe, the enemy has been working overtime to attack where we are in our faith. Have you thought about that? That maybe Satan is working with some of us in our marriages to create tension, to create a chasm. Maybe he's working in our lives with with certain relationships to create other tensions. Maybe he's creating doubt. Because if we look at the word, we see that the enemy moves and prowls and roars and shoots flaming arrows and tries to create doubts like he did in the garden. You really believe you're going to die? You really believe that? You really believe God is is for you? You really believe all this stuff in the world? And he creates that space when we hear in this text that they've been given authority. Authority by the Holy Spirit. Authority by God himself. C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he's a wonderful image of, of this demonic presence that we see in the scripture and the world. And he says there are two equal opposite errors in which people can fall about the devils. There's two. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Lewis shows us that we are in a spiritual war. We are. And some of us, we don't even 
really, if we think about it, if we really are honest with, with ourselves, some of us might not truly believe that demonic beings are real. And then on the other end, <laughs> there's some of us as Christ followers that there's a demon every, in, under every rock and every tree and moment and positions of error. We give too much weight and too much credence. Despite this, Jesus says when we share the gospel and pray for people, we are engaging in spiritual battle for souls. That's what we're battling for. And we enter into that battle, not with our own authority, but with his authority. We enter into that knowing that we cannot accomplish this, but him and his authority, he can. Disciples, they... We've been given this authority, we say this, but it's all because of him and what he, is in, he has given us. But we're not supposed to be spectators and fans cheering on. We're to be followers that speak this with authority, that are ready to defend, understanding we, most people in here don't have a master's degree in theology or divinity. We've not been given that. That doesn't mean that we're ready to share. These disciples were given the Holy Spirit. They were normal people. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's all of us to show what Christ has done in our life, what hope we've been given. This is where I was, and he saved my life. <laughs> he saved my soul. I was on a road to destruction, making bad decision after bad decision, and then here comes Jesus into my life. He changed everything. The cross changed anything, everything. We're supposed to give this, give this hope to whoever comes to us, defend it. So who is God calling you to reach out to with the gospel? Who in your life is wanting to hear from you and they need to hear this truth? There's someone in your life now, there is. We're those people. We are the ones who are to share, to speak that truth with the authority of God. I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, I'm not a leader. I'm, I'm, I'm new to this, or I've always struggled with this. Remember who God used. found this list, and I, I shared this years ago. Maybe you've heard it as well. Just how normal and how broken people in the Word were, even with God, the struggles they had says this, Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Moses stuttered. Abraham was old. And Lazarus was dead. God used these people 
why would he not use us? I can look at that list and say, yep. <laughs> oh, yep. Yes, I got that too. God uses you and he uses me. He's called us to himself. He has used us, distinguished us, made us a peculiar people that stand out rather than fit in. But who is it? Who is it that God is calling you to reach with the gospel? Let's pray. Father, we just want to pray right now, as we've said, when, when heaven meets earth, your kingdom, when it touches down, amazing things happen. Bodies are healed, demons are destroyed, uh, divided people come together. But as amazing as those things are, we know that you are interested in disciples, in followers who don't just admire you, but are called out of the crowd, who are called into relationship with you to be with you. And Father, I know he calls us to authoritatively serve and speak his gospel, engage in the battle and the power of darkness. Let's continue to follow you with everything we got as you've commissioned us. And thank you so much that we can be a unique people that are loved, that are cherished, that are seen, even though we carry some of those same struggles that we just mentioned. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you for that cross. Pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.